Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Friends, good morning. Man, it's like the glory cloud right over here. This is uh... a... <laughs> okay. So we continue on this fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. We continue to make our way through Matthew's, um, the beginning of Matthew's gospel, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his long sermon, his first homily. And what we have from the Lord today are very powerful but very familiar images that he gives us about who his disciples are supposed to be, what they're supposed to be in this world. Those images of salt and light and a city set on a hill. Here's what struck me about these images that just has never hit me before, that salt, it cannot help but impart saltiness. I know that seems obvious, but stay with me, stay with me. I'm like, yes, okay, hang on. It's gonna get more obvious. It cannot, heart, it cannot help but impart salinity to the foods around it. In other words, like salt will never wake up in the morning and be like, I don't wanna be salt today, I'm gonna to be pepper today. You can't do that, right? Salt, it salts things. That's what it does. Same thing with light. Light cannot help but impart luminosity. That's what it is. That's what it does. Light cannot say, I do not wish to shine. It's part of the nature of the flame to illuminate. Same thing with a city set on a mountain, right? This is so very obvious. Jesus says, a city set on a mountain cannot be hidden. You're supposed to hear that and go, yes. But that's the point. That's the point. The city set on the mountain cannot say any particular day, I wish to be invisible. So these images that Jesus gives, what they all have in common is that they are all irrational things that are perfectly obedient to their nature. They are perfectly obedient to their creator. They do always what they are made to do because of what they are. Now, this is where the drama comes in. Because, look, Jesus looks now at his followers. He looks at us, and he says, you, you are my salt. You are to be my light. You are meant to be my city set on a hill. This is, this is the point, uh, this is the rub right here that, like, this is significant because we have the capacity, unlike salt and light and a city, we have the capacity for divine disobedience, right? We can wake up in a particular morning and say, I just am not feeling it today. I really don't want to enhance the lives of people around me. I don't want to be salty today. I don't want to illuminate those around me today. I just don't feel like it. I don't really want to be visible as a Christian today. I kind of want to be a little anonymous, a little hidden I don't want to do it. The whole drama, the whole drama of this section of the Sermon on the Mount, it's right here. Because he's showing us what we with our freedom are called to be. He's showing us what we have the capacity to be, what we can and what we ought to be for the world. Because that's what these images are. That's what he's saying, that my followers, you are meant to be a gift unto the world. A gift for the world. This is what he's saying we're meant to be. So that was the first sort of image that the Lord gave me when I was praying through this. And I happened to be flipping through one of my favorite encyclicals from Pope St. John Paul II. It's called Novo Millennio 
Inuente. I know, a lot of big Novo Millennio Inuente fans out there. I know. It's his pastoral plan for the third millennium. He wrote it. It was publicized in January of um, the year 2000. So, it's his pastoral plan for the church, his strategic plan for the church for the next thousand years. And we are in year 2023, so we are only at the beginning of this pastoral plan. It's only just unfolding. But listen to what he says. Listen to what he says in this vein. So, John Paul II, he's quoting the Gospel of John here, where some Greek-speaking pilgrims come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they say, John Paul II quotes, We wish to see Jesus. Just pause there. These Greek-speaking pilgrims come to Jerusalem for the Passover. We wish to see Jesus. He goes on. This request addressed to the Apostle Philip by some Greeks who had made a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover echoes spiritually in our ears too. Like those pilgrims of 2,000 years ago, the men and women of our own day, often perhaps unconsciously, They ask believers not only to speak of Christ, listen, to not only speak of Christ, but in a certain sense to show him to them. Everyone, everyone in the world is looking for him. Everybody. Every single soul that you've ever met, every single person that you've ever run into, every single frustrated, angry, atheist, teen, fallen away Catholic, every person of every religion is looking for Jesus. Every person. And the full flourishing, the fulfillment that their hearts are looking for is only found in him. Does that mean that non-Christians can't have good and happy lives? No, that's not what I'm saying. I am saying, though, that the authentic finish line of our humanity comes in direct relation to friendship with Jesus. Everybody is looking for him, but so many people are looking for him in all all the wrong places. All the wrong places. Okay, John Paul II continues. And is it not the church's task to reflect the light of Christ in every historical period to make his face shine also before the generations of the new millennium. What is the answer to that question? Is it not the church's task? Yes. 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 This is the task. This is the task. So then he says this. Our witness, John Paul II says, would be hopelessly inadequate if we ourselves had not first contemplated his face. This is where I want to draw us in here this morning. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that we first need to read a lot of theology books. He does not say that you need to become an expert in apologetics, defending the faith. He does not say you have to become someone who has listened to Bible in the Year ten times, that you are such an expert in Father Mike Schmitz. He does not say that you have to become someone who's so knowledgeable Or someone who's finally worked through all of your junk that now you're an adequate witness. Now you're finally holy enough. That's not what he says. That's not the prerequisite. The prerequisite, he says, we have to first contemplate his face. Okay. Again, Jesus in this gospel, Sermon on the Mount, he is saying that we are meant to be a gift to the world. He's using the image of salt and light and the city on a hill. He's saying that we are meant to enhance. We are meant to illuminate. We are meant to be 
the place that people find refuge, where people come to find hope and healing, where people can find a home. That's what the church is meant to be, a home. And John Paul II, in his pastoral plan for the new millennium, what he's telling us, what he's specifying for our mission, is that if we have any desire to do this with any efficacy, he's saying you have to first contemplate the face of Christ. It's not a matter of willpower. It's not just go out there and be a better Christian, be a better witness, be a better evangelist. It's a matter of being before doing. And this is so hard for us. This is so hard for us. It's not a matter of willpower. It's first and foremost a matter of being transformed by his love. It's not a go do something. It's rather a go and be something. Try and stay with me on this because if we get this individually, if we get this as a parish, this will radically transform things for us. Because what we have to offer the world, friends, what we have to offer the world is the witness of hearts and lives radically transformed by love. What we have to offer the world is the hope that every person is looking for, that this world, this life isn't the end, that there is a banquet that corresponds to our deepest hungers and our deepest thirsts. Are we all insane walking around in this world with hearts that long for the infinite? Or is there actually the infinite banquet that corresponds to my hunger? What we have to offer the world, what we have to offer the world is the witness of a life that's radically transformed by the love of Jesus Christ and the hope that comes from knowing him. Jesus is the world's only hope, and we are the only ones who can bear that into the world. And where we have to start is in contemplating his face. I know this might not seem totally connected to the Sermon on the Mount, be salt, be light, be a city on the hill, but trust me, this is. Like, if you wish to be obedient to Jesus, you have to begin by first letting Jesus Behold you. Because we are the bearers. We are meant to be the witnesses of a real person. How often do you in your prayer let Jesus be a real person who really looks at you? Like in the flesh, in Jesus, God took on a face so that we might look at him, that he might look at us. As you begin to admire him, what you'll first recognize is it's as if you're admiring a beautiful piece of art to sit and to contemplate the face of Jesus, the face of the crucified, as Paul says. You're admiring it objectively as if you're merely an observer. And then what should begin to awaken in your own consciousness is this realization that, the, that what I'm admiring is a who, who has a face who is admiring me in return. This is what John Paul II is trying to get at, that the beginning of evangelization is first letting him see you in all your complexity, in all your shame, in all your beauty, in all your brokenness, that this, there is a face that is turned towards you, not like, this was the image that came in my, in my prayer, not like the eye of Sauron from Lord of the Rings, looking at you, seething and searing with like anger and judgment and disappointment. That's not how he looks upon you. If ever you felt the Father looking at you through that lens with disappointment, with anger, 
with frustration, you can be assured that that is not God the Father who's looking at you. That's the father of lies. That's the enemy who hates you. No, his face is turned towards you with kindness and meekness. You, you are the reason for the sparkle in the father's eye. His face also, John Paul II says, his face is also the face of the man of sorrows. But stay with me on this. It's not because he's so disappointed in you. It's not because he looks at your life and the, the laundry list of your sins and says, I'm just so ashamed of who you've become. Of the father you are, of the mother you are, of the son, the daughter, the brother, the friend. I'm so ashamed of you. That is not the voice of the Father. His face is filled with sorrow because he knows our pain. He knows our pain. Not intellectually does he know it. He knows it interpersonally. He knows it. Your heart, friends, your heart has never not bled into his. This is the mystery of our being the body of Christ. This is the mystery of our baptism, that because of our baptism, we have been integrated into Jesus so much so that every hurt you've ever experienced, even the ones that don't even register anymore, he still feels. He knows them from the inside. Your heart has bled into his your entire life. And this face of his, this face of sorrow, this face that's been spit upon and abused, and crowned with thorns and covered in dust and sweat. This face is the face of God who is so desperate for your love, who's so desperate for you to turn and to see him. This is the God of desperation who says, I'm willing to go anywhere and suffer anything to win your heart. To contemplate that face is to be overwhelmed by love. To realize you would do this, not just for us, that this is what you did for me. And that the tears that come streaming down his face, those are tears of compassion. Right, look at the etymology of that word, compassion. Compassio, right, in the Latin, to suffer with. His tears, his compassion is because he suffers with us. Like he knows your heart in a way that you don't even know your heart. He knows your hurt. He knows the pain of the divorce of your parents from all those years ago. He knows the pain of your marriage that is just so riddled with frustration and bitterness. He knows the rejection you, feel, you felt in childhood. He knows the pain that you felt when that best friend moved away. He knows the, the hurt that's accumulated because of that addiction to online pornography that developed when you were a teen because nobody protected you. He knows the pain of your heart. He knows it. He suffers with you. The terrible things that happened to you and the terrible things that you did. He knows all of it. And his heart is filled with compassion. He has never stopped looking at you with eyes of mercy. He's never stopped gazing upon you in desperation. This is who he is. This is who he is. And all along, the entire time, he's just saying, please, won't you look up? Won't you let me see you? Meet my gaze. See me seeing you. I'm your hope. 
I'm your healing. I'm your restoration. I'm all of that. Friends, to sit in this gaze, to sit in this gaze, John Paul II says, is the very thing that fills our hearts with light. You cannot go and be light unless your heart has been first filled with light. This is the thing that fills our hearts. You cannot go and give saltiness into the world to enhance the world unless the salt of his love and mercy has been pressed into your humanity. You have to receive it first. And you receive all of this by contemplating his face, John Paul II says. And if we do this, what will happen is we will become irresistibly attractive to the world, magnetically attractive to the world. People will be drawn to us and wonder, what mystery do you carry in you? What is it about you? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. They, they see hope in you and healing in you and mercy in you and love and forgiveness. This is not something that's just a pipe dream for the spiritual elite. This is what every single one of us is invited to. That once you've done all your talking to him, once you've said all of your prayers, when you finally stop and sit in actual silence and to let the real face of God step forward from the darkness and to look at you, that's when everything will change. That's when this parish will become a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's when you, your marriage, your family will be a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Because when all the prodigals of the world, when they have wandered down all of the wrong paths, when they finally come to their senses and they wander home, they will come here to find hope and healing and restoration. Friends, this is the call that's still in the heart of the church, even though John Paul II wrote these words 23 years ago, our whole efforts of evangelization will be utterly fruitless if we do not first sit and contemplate his face. This is the invitation. This is putting out into the deep. Step away from the shallows and let that face look at you. Amen.